How's everybody doing? Oh, good. Well, some are doing well. Some are still quiet. It's good seeing you guys. I don't know what's wrong with the middle section. I don't know if it's dirty pews or what, but we got a bunch over here, a bunch over there. And so if you're online, I am not watching a tennis match, okay? So just want you to know. Before we dive into this passage, I want to encourage you, if you have a smartphone, and be careful to confess you got a smartphone because smartphones make people dumb. But anyway, if you go to our bulletin, In our bulletin, there is one announcement that's really important, and it's about the election or the nomination of leaders. So you can type 623-623, the word bulletin, and then it'll take you to our bulletin. And oop, I can't connect. Oh, there, I can connect right now. On our bulletin, you will see 2024 leadership nominations. And right now, I'm going to take a few moments to give a couple pastoral privilege announcements. This is the first one, and I've got three, okay? So I'll go really quick. But leadership nominations, here we are part of Brentwood Baptist Church. We have nine campuses. We have three lay leadership teams. Lay leader is someone who's not working officially for the church. So I'm technically not a lay leader, okay? But lay leadership teams, we have trustees, and they're the highest leadership team. And they walk alongside our executive, our leadership team, to make sure that we as a church are following our vision and our mission, that we're staying faithful to the Lord Jesus. Then we have a finance ministry team, and they oversee our budget to make sure that we as a church, and we particularly as a staff, are walking within the budget that God has given us through your faithful giving. And then we have the staff resource team, which again, it's a group of 12 men and women who are kind of like our HR department, even though we do have an HR department, but the staff resource team walks alongside us as a staff to shepherd us, to encourage us, to pray for us. But then also they help us in hiring new staff and all the policies with our staff. So if you're a member of Woodbine, I want to ask you this week, take the time to prayerfully consider who to nominate. And on our bulletin, you can go to lay leadership team. You can click on here to learn more and then follow the prompts as we prayerfully nominate men and women to be on these three, these three teams. This is super important. And I know it's really easy for us at Woodbine. We'd be like, oh, that's just big church. No, no, no. This is our church. Okay. All right. Second announcement. We have two young people who have been overseas all summer long on mission. Uh, One is Kate Johnson. Where's Kate? Where are you hiding? Right there, Kate. Could you stand up? She has been sick for the past three weeks. Yay! Was in Kosovo all summer long on mission with Greater Europe Mission and got sick about three weeks ago and is still sick. Welcome back. We're so glad you're back. We we can't wait to hear all that God has done. So we're so glad you're back. And then Yuri, and I spoke to her in Spanish today. Yuri's from South Korea, but spent the summer in Honduras. So I don't want to put her on the spot, but bienvenida. ¿Cómo estás? That's awesome. So we are so glad both y'all are back. Um, We've got two young men who were overseas for the summer, and I don't see them in here today, but Samuel, my son, and then Hutch, who plays piano a lot with us, they were overseas as well. So awesome privilege that we have. Now, I was kind of teasing Yuri, South Korean, and she now speaks Spanish. Maybe we'll get her to speak up here during Spanish Sunday. But I don't know if you guys realize this, but worship team, let's give the worship team a hand, a hand, a hand. Pay attention, pay attention, a hand. Thank you for all that you guys do. Uh, They come here at about quarter of eight, eight in the morning, and we pray, 
and then they prep for worship service. And I just want to say thank you. And today, I, I just love it because if you don't know, Ilanka is from South Africa, Afrikaans. David is Venezuelan. Juan Gabriel is Venezuelan. They don't speak Afrikaans. They speak a little bit of English. And I'm sitting there thinking our worship minister, who's South African, is leading a couple Venezuelans along with the rest of us Americans up here in worship to the throne. Only God could do that. And I love it. So I just want to say thank you. And there's different people on our team that comes around. If you hear that, that is the fire panel, but it's not the fire alarm. So you don't have to worry, okay? For those online, there's a, yeah, don't worry about it. No. Um, But pray for our worship team. If you know how to play instruments or love to sing, love to worship, and you sense the Lord leading you to want to be part of the worship team, talk with Ilanka. She's way over here. Raise your hand, Ilanka, in the shadows. We are always looking for how we can equip more men and women, young and old, to use their gifts, their talents to serve, whether if it's up here on stage in worship, if it's leading a small group, serving the children, the littles, youth. We love it and we long for that to happen. All right? Okay, that was not on the script today, but as we were singing, I was like, I need to make these announcements. So next week, I want to see all you guys on the sides right here. All right, can you do that? All right. 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you got your Bibles, please open it up. It'll be on the screen. We are going through the life of David. What does it mean to be real, a real human? Last week, we looked at a real heart where we saw that David was a man after God's own heart. Now, it's not because David was this awesome, amazing, holy, righteous, obedient saint. As a young man, yes, he loved the Lord with all of his heart. And he sought after the Lord. But as we go through the life of David, and if you read 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, you will see that David is a wretch. Yes, King David, I said you're a wretch. He's in heaven, but he is wretched to the core, sinner, just like you, just like me. David was not a saint because he walked in amazing obedience, resisting all temptations. God made him holy in the same way that he makes you and me holy through the Lord Jesus Christ. And God did anoint him with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see what happens today when there's a real threat with King Saul and David's response, King Saul's response. But there's a phrase in Scripture, and it comes from the New Testament. It's, we reap what we sow. What does that mean, we reap what we sow. Well, to get started, I got a story. One of my best friends, he actually was my youth leader way back when I was in high school. And he was sharing a story with us when he was in college. He went to Mississippi State. And while he is in college, he got back to his dorm room or apartment. I can't remember what year he is in. And one of his roommates was so hungry that he grabbed, they had a big bag of dried apples there in their dorm room. And he opened the bag up and he just sat down. And he said his roommate was so hungry that he just started eating all these dried apples. And they're talking and laughing and talking and cutting up and hanging out. And his friend just dried apple after dried apple after dried apple after dried apple. I hope you guys can understand me. And if you eat dried apples, what happens if they get wet? They start to expand. 
And as they're laughing and talking, you know, they're 19-year-old boys. How much of a brain does a 19-year-old boy use? Very little. And I've seen with my own two boys that the more boys you get together, their brain capacity exponentially gets worse and worse and worse. If you have one boy with a 100 IQ and his best buddy shows up, they now have a 50 IQ. If you add a third one, it's 33.333 point IQ. And if you add a fourth one, it's 25. You see where I'm going? That's the way most boys are. The more boys you get, the more dumb they become. And please don't give them a smartphone. It'll only get worse. So he's eating dried apple after dried apple after dried apple. Puts the bag down, he's full. And they're talking and laughing. After about 10, 15 minutes, he's like, oh. And he starts, oh, my stomach. And then they realize he wasn't eating a bag of Doritos or chips. And he knew that he was eating dried apples. But no one was paying attention that you reap what you sow. And they began to see that his stomach actually started to expand. And he got in serious pain. That they had to call 911. The ambulance showed up. They rushed him to the hospital and they pumped his stomach. He turned out okay. That's a great youth story, isn't it? It is. But we reap what we sow. That is the biblical principle that happens to all of us. Now, unfortunately, in our day and age, throughout the past, at least I'm 51. I've heard it my whole life. And it's not said so directly in some circles, but in prosperity gospel, this is totally what it is. God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and happy. That is a lie from the pit of hell. There is no guarantee on this side of heaven that we're going to be healthy, wealthy, and happy. But that's what the prosperity gospel preaches. That's what it teaches. And we think, hey, you reap what you sow. We do take biblical truths. And if you follow the Old Testament, especially in the book of Proverbs and all those biblical principles, which are great. Man, if I honor the Lord with my wealth, my barns will be filled to overflowing and my vats will brim over with new wine. That's true. But what happens is we'll take biblical truths and then Satan or even our own selfish sinfulness or our own ignorance slightly twist it. Where then when temptations come our way, when trials come our way, when difficulties and challenges come our way, we look up to God and we're like, hey, where are you? What's going on? You promised me healthy, wealthy, and happy. Did he? Do you see what I'm saying? So to be honest, today, I feel like I'm walking this tightrope because we're going to look at David and we're going to look at Saul, the king. And we're going to look at the whole passage that Brittany just read. But there's a description in verse 13 and 14 that if you don't catch it, we might lose it. We reap what we sow. Right here in verse 13, let's go ahead and stand up again. I'm going to help you guys burn some calories so that way you can eat that cheesecake for lunch. After you eat lunch, okay? And eat a good salad, a Diet Coke. Stay off the carbs, and then you've saved some space for that pie. Here we go, 1 Samuel 16, 13. So Samuel, if you remember, we looked at this last week. So Samuel took the horn. This is when Samuel was called to go anoint David to be new king. So Samuel took the horn of oil, and he anointed him, who is David, in the presence of his brothers. 
and his father Jesse and the elders there at Bethlehem. And look at what it says. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully. Came what? Powerfully on David from that day forward. Then Samuel set out and went to Ramah. Okay, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David when he was anointed king. And I'm going to explain this in a few minutes about the Spirit of the Lord in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and now the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of the Lord, here in the New Covenant, the New Testament, here after Jesus ascended to heaven. There's a massive difference in how the Holy Spirit worked amongst His people, God's people, in the Old Testament and today. Massive difference. Then in verse 14, look at what it says here in verse 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul. And an evil spirit sent from the Lord began to torment him. All right, some of you guys are really smart. You're going to go down that rabbit trail of of an evil spirit from the Lord. what, What in the world? Don't get lost. All right, you guys may have a seat. Two different men. One was a young man, David, probably still a teenager, a late teenager, when he, well, a young teenager, when he's anointed king, the spirit of the Lord came upon him. How? Powerfully. It's like that old kid song. My God is so great, so strong, and so mighty. Nothing my God cannot do. So the Holy Spirit comes upon David powerfully from that day forward. The very next verse, King Saul, the spirit of the Lord left him. And in fact, an evil spirit from the Lord was sent to torment Saul. Really quick, God never tempts us to sin or do evil. Evil does not come from the Lord. But you might say, well, right here it just says, and God's great, perfect, holy, good sovereignty, he will use evil people, evil, wicked situations, and evil, even evil agents like these evil spirits to accomplish his purposes. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But it's revealed in Scripture. And the greatest example of that is it was God's will for Jesus to be crucified. Jesus dying on the cross was not plan B for God's will. And yet Scripture is very clear that evil, wicked men took Jesus. They beat him, they flogged him, and they crucified him. Those are two biblical truths that look like they contradict each other, but we have to hold it in that biblical tension of like, they're both true. I might not fully grasp it or understand it, but I embrace it because it's God's word. And when I see him face to face, I'll be able to be like, ah, I get it. But right here on this side of heaven, on this side of eternity, we need to be willing to humble ourselves Search the scriptures to understand, but also at the same time recognize we will not comprehend everything until we see him face to face. It's not blind faith. We love God with all of our mind. So let's drill into it. But we have to recognize that sometimes there will be mystery and sometimes there will be challenges. Well, man, we just won't have the answer. We won't even be given the answer. But do we love and do we trust him enough? Do you think Peter could answer and explain scientifically how he walked on water? No. But he walked on water because his eyes were fixed on Jesus. 
So here we have, right here, King David, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him powerfully from that day forward. King Saul, and I'm not equating you all as King Saul, okay? King Saul, the Spirit of the Lord left him. And an evil spirit from the Lord was sent to torment him. How does that work? Right here in this story. So right here, if we keep going here in verse 14, verse 15. Right here in verse 15. So Saul's servant said to him, You see that an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command your servants here in your presence to look for someone who knows how to play the liar. Now, that's not a liar who says falsehoods. It's an instrument, okay? When I was little reading the Old Testament, I'd hear them say liar, liar, liar. Why would anybody want to go get a liar to to be with King Saul? I mean, they, they didn't learn me good in school, okay? Let our Lord command your servants here in your presence to look for someone who knows how to play the liar. Whenever the evil spirit from God comes on you, that person can play the liar and you will feel better. You see, right here in this passage, there are two things. I'm making it simple. There are two things we're going to look at today. The first one is consequences to our actions, specifically King Saul. Consequences to our actions. The second one is the power of worship. Those are the two things we're going to look at today. Consequences to our actions and then the power of worship. You see, the reason the Spirit of the Lord left Saul and the reason that an evil spirit came to torment Saul is because he continually disobeyed the Lord over and over again. Saul was not willing to pay the price for humble, loving obedience to his heavenly father. He constantly was disobeying, refusing to humble himself and say yes to God's voice. And it got to a point where because he rejected the Lord, King Saul, the Lord rejected him as king. So the two points today, consequences for our decisions and the power of worship. So right here, Saul is suffering the consequences of his decisions because when he was anointed king, the spirit of the Lord came upon him. And in the Old Testament, and this is the description of what's the difference between the Old Testament and the work of the Holy Spirit and the New Testament and the work of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament with God's covenant people, the Spirit of the Lord would come upon and anoint certain men and women for God's purposes and leadership and equipping. We see it with Abraham. We see it with Moses. We see it with all the judges. We see it with King David and the prophets. And the clearest story is with Moses when he called for the 70 elders of the people of Israel to come to the tabernacle, to the tent of meeting. And the spirit of the Lord descended upon all of them. But two of those elders stayed in the camp and the spirit of the Lord fell upon them and they prophesied. And Joshua, who is Moses' radical hardcore, committed servant, when he found out about those two leaders who were not with the others, were prophesying, he asked Moses, Moses, do you want me to tell them to stop? And Moses asked Joshua, are you zealous for me and jealous of me? He goes, oh, how I wish that every one of God's people were filled with the spirit like these elders. The prophet Joel, prophesied the day of Pentecost when the spirit of the Lord would descend upon all flesh. 
men and women, young and old, from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And he would fill them with his very presence, the Holy Spirit. Joel prophesied that centuries before Jesus came. Jesus came. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose from the dead. And before he went to heaven, he told his disciples, stay in Jerusalem until you are filled with the promise of the Father, until you receive the Holy Spirit. And 10 days later, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit filled those early Christians, both men and women, not just the king, not just the leader like Moses, not just the elders, but every last Christian were filled with the Holy Spirit. And when Peter preached that day, he referred back to Joel. You see, because the difference now that we live in the new covenant after Jesus' death, after his ascension, everyone who puts their faith in Jesus is filled by the Holy Spirit, who is God himself. You see, Jesus shed his precious blood and the Father has bought both you and me with the precious blood of Jesus. We are now his and we are his temple and his spirit abides in us, not around us, even though he is, not above us, even though he is, not under us or behind us, even though he is, but God himself, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the Lord abides in everyone who confesses Jesus as Lord. And that is a radical difference from the Old Testament. Am I making sense? Is that enough for today? So when Saul continually turned his back on the Lord saying, no, I will not obey you. I will not follow you. The Lord rejected him. Not as a human, but as king. And the anointing of the spirit of the Lord left Saul. And he then suffers the consequences of his disobedience. And he's now tormented. And you might be wondering, why would an evil spirit from the Lord do that? Well, God uses everything to fulfill his purposes. And sometimes it doesn't make sense. The Apostle Paul says a couple of different times in Corinthians and later on in some of his writings about certain people who were Christians or professed to be believers And they begin to walk in disobedience. And Paul tells them, turn them over to Satan so that they would learn not to blaspheme and repent. When we continually deny God's voice saying no, 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 he will always love us. But as it says in Romans chapter one, he will turn people over to the passions of their hearts to a depraved mind. So woe to us that we deny the voice of Holy Spirit as he speaks to us every day. So here King Saul is being tormented. And one of his servants says, look, I know a young man. And this right here is in verse 18. One of the young men answered, I have seen the son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. Look at the description here. He is a valiant man, a warrior. He's eloquent, handsome, and the Lord is with him. We don't know how this servant of Saul knew this. But most theologians and scholars believe that this passage right here actually comes after chapter 17 when David kills Goliath. 
David had been filled and anointed powerfully by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of the Lord, for several years now. And we know from the history of David, and he wrote a third of all the Psalms, which is the ancient prayer book of the Jewish people. A third of the Psalms, and the Psalms are right in the middle of your Bible. A third of these Psalms were written by David. And for years, as he's out shepherding the sheep, tending to the sheep, he's playing we call the harp, it's the lyre. And he's writing and he's composing psalms and prayers and worship songs to the Lord. And he's cultivating this amazing relationship that he has to the Lord. And, say, and David was not perfect by any stretch, but he, God had given him a heart where he longed to be with, with our, our Heavenly Father, with Yahweh. And he longed to spend time with him. And he poured out his heart to him in every way. When he was encouraged, when he was excited, when he was full of thanksgiving and praise, but also when he was discouraged and when he was depressed and he, when he was lonely. And next year, our whole sermon series, next year we're going to preach through the whole Bible chronologically. And we will see very quickly next year. The Psalms, when David wrote the Psalms, the good ones of exaltation and praise and the depressive one where he's like, God, where are you? And for years as a young teenager, David is cultivating this amazing relationship with God. He kills Goliath. He's known to be a valiant warrior. And one of the servants of Saul is like, hey, I know a man who can serve you, King Saul. He'll minister to you. So they send for him. They get him. David comes into Saul's presence. And every time that evil spirit would torment Saul, David would play the lyre and sing over him. Sing worship songs over Saul. And Saul would be relieved. You see, there's power in worship. We don't come here just to sing, to get the singing over with, so then we can hear the real stuff, the sermon. We don't come to worship to have an experience. If we come to worship to experience God, we're missing it. We come to worship because he's worthy. And as we come in humility, knowing that he is worthy of everything, as we come into God's presence and worship him because he's worthy, we will experience God. But if we come into worship as a self-centered act for ourselves, we'll miss the whole boat. We'll completely miss it. But if we come with humility saying, God, you are everything for me. I need you and only you. I am nothing without you. So I pour out myself to you. I give myself to you. I worship you because you're holy and you're good and you're righteous and you're true. We will then truly encounter him. And that's what David was doing, singing, worshiping over Saul, ministering to Saul. And Saul would be relieved. He would be encouraged. He would be touched. But if you read the rest of Samuel, you'll see that Saul never turned back to the Lord. And in fact, Saul became David's chief enemy. Even though it says here that Saul loved him and made David his armor bearer. Within a few short years, Saul had become extremely jealous of David and resent David and fearful of David because he knew he could tell, he could see the spirit of the Lord upon David. And he knew that David was the new anointed king. So he tried to kill him. And Saul continually refused. We reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. Now, we're not going to dive into half what I wanted to talk about today. But here's my offer to you. If you want to know in depth about this whole thing with the evil spirit coming from the Lord, 
Invite me out to coffee. I'll pay for it. Not a steak, coffee. And we'll talk about it. Man, it's complicated, deep stuff. But we live in a fallen, broken, wretched world where we will be tried, we will be tempted, and we will be go through tribulation, the three T's of trials, tribulations, and temptations. And God calls us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, worshiping him, surrendering him through the good and the bad. And that leads me to my second point, the power of worship. One of David's most famous, if not famous, psalm is Psalm 22. We know it. Most of us know at least the very first verse of it, but Psalm 22. And Hunter and Chris, I owe you guys a steak dinner because you do all this work to get these slides up with these verses, and then we never go over them. So I'm sorry. Psalm chapter 22. There's a couple very important points here about worship right here. But it starts out with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who said that? Jesus did. And most of us think it stops right there. Back during Jesus' day, when a Jewish person was on their deathbed, knowing that they were going to die, they would recite and pray this whole psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And look at what it says. Why are you so far from my deliverance and far from words of groaning? That's a lament. David originally prayed that prayer during his life. When he was already anointed king, when he was king and the spirit Lord was upon him, but he went through a season where he couldn't perceive God's presence in his life. He couldn't sense God was with him. And he actually thought, why have you forsaken me? I'm groaning and I'm calling out. And where are you? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer by night, yet I have no rest. Who's been here before in your life? I have. We all go through seasons like this. And many of us try to hide it from God. He already knows. Don't hide it from him. Be honest with him. That is part of worship. It's just coming right before the Lord, vomiting on the floor. Here I am. Warts and all, I'm really struggling. Where are you, God? And then verse three, here's one of the powerful things. But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. David has been squashed when he wrote this psalm. Where are you, God? You've forsaken me. I cry out and nothing. But then he turns and he forces himself, his mind, his heart, his whole being to praise that you are holy. You're set apart. You're unique. You're distinct. You're different. You're perfect. You're good. You are holy. And you inhabit the praises of your people, Israel. When we worship collectively, corporately, God inhabits our praises. I want to invite the worship team to come forward. But there is power in worship, but it's got to be Christ-centered. Where our eyes are fixed upon him, we look to him and we worship him. And there are songs of lament. There are songs of thankfulness. There are songs of confession. There are songs of supplication and intercession. In Psalm 150, and I don't think this is a verse I gave you guys, but Psalm 150, verse 2, 
And I love this psalm. It's the last psalm in the entire book of Psalms. It says, praise him for his powerful acts. Praise him for his abundant greatness. We praise God for who he is and what he does. The same God. You did it in the life of Joseph. You did it for Moses. You did it for Mary. You did it for David. You did it for the leopard. For the leper, we ask that you do it now. You do it again for us. Psalm 149, and this is the close. And let's stand. And Psalm 149, and this should be on the screen. The psalmist, and we don't know who wrote Psalm 149. He starts with, hallelujah. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the faithful. Let Israel celebrate its maker. You see, we're here to celebrate him, not us. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. That's our King Jesus. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with tambourine and lyre. Verse 6, or verse 3, sorry. No, verse 6. Let the exaltation of God be in their mouths and the double-edged sword in their hands. Worship. He is worthy of all praise, all glory and honor. There is spiritual power in worship. Strongholds fall. Demons have to flee. People will get healed and saved. And our love for him is renewed as we fix our eyes on him. We would love to pray with you. I know the pews are tight. I walked through one of them earlier today. I about pulled a hip out. But if you want prayer, our prayer team is over here. We'd love to pray with you. Come on down. We would love to pray with you. If you have questions, we'd love to talk with you. But let's worship him because he's worthy. He's glorious. And there is power in praise. Let us sing.